My favorite quote is one that has a positive and a negative side to it, and that is, that which doesn't kill you makes you stronger. And I really like that quote because it says to me that even though there will be times when one trips or is disappointed or um, feels like they're moving backwards, there's such deep learning in that. And it's really how you deal with those challenges and setbacks that positions you for moving forward. You know, it's not the, the trips that are the challenge. It's what you do with the opportunity for learning when they occur, because they occur for everyone. Hi, you're listening to LaunchCast with Sun Yin, where we help you define your inner champion. On today's episode, you'll hear from Edith Cooper. Edith is a former head of global human capital at Goldman Sachs and currently serves on the board of directors of Etsy, Slack, and the Museum of Modern Art. Continue listening for Edith's insights on the power of community and human interaction. Enjoy! Edith, help the audience get to know you really fast. Fill in the following blank. If we really knew you, we would know that... Edith really cares about people. So what does that mean? It means that I am so interested in other people and their experiences and their stories. It's when I feel that I'm at my best, when I have an opportunity to meet someone that I don't know from a different perspective or walk of life, and I get through the the initial pleasantries and really get into a real conversation to learn who they are as people and what words they choose to describe themselves. You know, that's that's magic to me. I really, really enjoy and learn from those experiences. Is there a story that you can share with us where you were surprised, delighted, and you learned something about the person that was unexpected but also helpful to to your own personal growth? I recently had, um, I would say, a rough, challenging day, um, and it was post the murders of those poor worshipers in mm. um, Pennsylvania. And, you know, I woke up really looking to get myself sort of connected and grounded, so I went to one church community. I hadn't been there, and, and that was an hour service, and I really didn't feel like I was done. I went to another, and then I found a synagogue. And, you know, after hours of looking for fellowship, I stopped at the grocery store and, um, you know, stopped at the, the fish counter. And, you know, the guy said, hey, you know, what can I help you with? And I and I mumbled, and he got busy, and he, he looked at me, and he goes, you know, it can't be that bad. And I said, excuse me? He goes, mm-hmm. I look at you, and something's really weighing on you. Um, I find sometimes when something's really, really struggling, I just have to to look up, look out, and and talk it through. And so, you know, can I help? Can I just talk it through with you? And mm-hmm. I, I sort of chuckled, and I looked away, and I said, you know, my first reaction was, no, thanks a lot. Can I have my fish? But this gentleman was so interested in understanding what was troubling me. And I shared with him briefly that, you know, I felt like it was just such a tragedy and that, you know, I was so worried about humanity and the country, et cetera. And, 
And he listened and he stopped and he said, I understand. I understand how you must feel. He said, but you're going to have to go forward and you're going to have to take all of this worry and anxiousness and do something with it. And when you start thinking about what you're going to do with it, I promise you, you'll get that positive experience back that I know you must have somewhere in you. And why was that an important story for me? One, because it wasn't what I expected. I mean, this is a perfect stranger, but it really kind of got my mind headed in a direction of, you know, seeking more understanding versus just, you know, being sad. Sad is an important emotion, but thinking about what leads to that and what we can do as individuals. I mean, I, I looked up, I thanked him and I said, you know, I might be coming back for some more inspiration. And he said, well, I'm here every <laughs> Sunday, you know, nine to five. I look forward to seeing you again. And that was that. Oh, thank you for sharing that story. It's, I think there is so many pearls in it. One, there's the, the kindness and the wisdom of strangers. I think that wisdom and that positivity and that, way a fresh way of looking at something and getting us converting that sadness or that weight we may feel into positive action that's all around us if we're willing to just pause and listen right and to your credit you didn't just say give me my fish (laughs) you stopped and you engaged in the conversation you know why human interactions with other people it's really critical to to well-being you know it's not just again pleasantry it's moments of fellowship um, and mm. it's being seen and seeing other people. You know, I'm a I'm a African American woman, and I live in New York City or an extension of New York City. And there's this thing where you you know are walking through a company or a school, and you see another person of color, you just nod, um, and you mm. smile. Maybe you often don't stop to talk. It's, just, it's the nod. You know, I call it the nod. And why does that not matter? Because it basically says to somebody else who, you know, has that commonality with you, I see you. Mm. I see you. You see me. And you keep moving. But it's really important in life to be seen and to to feel that you're connected with others. And so I increasingly look for other opportunities to to share that glance, to share that nod more broadly, um, because it's important. It's the power of community, and that word you used, fellowship. Um, I was at a gathering on Saturday, and the idea came up that when we're lonely, that's when we feel the greatest depths. When we're lonely, that's when we compare. But it's only through team and community and fellowship, this connection with other human beings, connecting the thread with what you just shared, that we're able to get beyond our depths that we are braver, we're stronger, um, we're more resilient. And what you said there about being seen and then you're turning around and making sure that you see others, that's so powerful. And yet today, so many of us, um, me included, I'll be the first to raise my hand, I'm looking, what I'm seeing is my smartphone screen rather than the eyes around me, right? And how powerful would it be? If we pause and we look up and we see, look at each other in the eye. So, Edith, your career is has been is continues to be amazing. Prior to what you're doing now, you were the head of global human capital at all of Goldman Sachs, where you're thinking about the unleashing of that individual and collective potential. Any words of wisdom 
from what you've seen in your role that can be helpful for the next generation of leaders? What are some of the patterns that you saw? I will tell you the experience of being responsible with my colleagues for people of Goldman Sachs was uh, an extraordinary journey. Um, And it was extraordinary because in my role, I had the um, opportunity uh, to interact with so many different people that were part of the community, both um, the most senior people at the firm as in my role as a partner and a member of the management committee. But I would say probably the most exciting thing for me was that I, uh, as part of my job, it's hard to imagine that I it was my job, really mm-hmm. uh, had the responsibility of understanding the talent that was in universities and colleges and in society today and how we could potentially get those individuals to come and be part of the purpose of Goldman Sachs um, as individuals, but more importantly, to become part of the Goldman Sachs community. What does that mean for someone who's entering a community? And, And I use that word instead of workforce because I think that's one of the things we have to start thinking about. Yes, it's a job. Yes, it's a, a role, and then and, and you have responsibilities, but it becomes more of a job. It becomes more of a, of a purpose when you enter through the doors and realize that a big part of what you're trying to do is to connect with other human beings to accomplish things. Mm. And what does it require to do that? One, you have to be open and curious. You have to mm. really not just be looking at the task at hand, but understanding how that fits into the overall equation. I remember several years ago, uh, we, uh, as senior leaders of the firm, got ourselves a little bit um, bothered by, you know, the the millennial challenge, we called it. Um, And as I listened to my colleagues, I considered, well, you know, why is it different? And it's different um, than when we were, were, were starting out, because let's just make it simple. The world is very different. Um, It's a technologically enabled world. It's one where, you know, getting information is actually, you know, not so hard. It's how you think about the information and how you connect it that really matters. Um, It's different for this generation because, you know, they have uh, experienced, um, I should say, you know, the evolution of corporate America away from sort of long-term job security um, to performance-based cultures where, you know, you're part of the organization as, as, as long as you're contributing, the organization is doing well. And, and that's exciting because, you know, we, we were hiring really talented people, but we shouldn't be surprised when people asked, you know, what, what, what they were going to get out of it. Do you see what I'm saying, mm-hmm. Diane? And it's so I would say um, social it's, contract. A, it's a different, it's a different social contract. And, and, you know, I just felt that it was really important for us not to sit back and think about the challenges of millennials, but think about it as a huge opportunity, um, an opportunity to understand how commerce was working, how people were, you know, going to spend their time, you know, what would be motivating because organizations that are successful over the long term or organizations that really figure out how to capture the potential of individuals for the benefit of the group. Um, and so, you know, as an individual looking at that equation, how do you do that? You 
you know, pay attention. You're intentional with who you interact with. You put yourself in situations where you're not the expert in the room, where you can learn from others. You ask questions and you are comfortable making a mistake, not a mistake due to lack of preparation or disregard for for the process, but rather because you're pushing yourself out of a comfort zone of what has been the case in the past. I'm smiling because what you just described there in how you and your colleagues were approaching this new millennial, let's call it opportunity rather than challenge, was putting into practice exactly what it was you were asking them to do. Be open, be curious, retest assumptions <laughs> about how things, you know, just because things that always worked a certain way doesn't mean that it necessarily operates and the, the assumptions that we held right. to be true are still true. So retest, let's right. just rethink our assumptions. And then um, because it's a, it's a new world, don't be afraid to make mistakes. Right, and experiment and learn from those mistakes uh, for the next iteration, and so it's uh, it's like a lesson within a lesson. <laughs> you were right. practicing what you were asking yeah. um, uh, these new employees to do. So, Edith, you are now the also a board director of Slack and Etsy, mm-hmm. if I recall correctly. Mm-hmm. And That's so, right. incredible career. But there was a time when Edith Cooper was 21. <laughs> Tell us about the 21-year-old Edith. Take us back to that time, because a lot of our listeners are in the 20- and 30-year-old age group. Uh, tell us about a challenge or an opportunity you were facing at that age, and what did you learn from it, and then what advice will you give yourself? At 21, I graduated from college uh, with the goal of opening a clothing store. It was going to be called The Classics. I had Mm -hmm. a sense that uh, design and clothing would come and go through different fads. But boy, if you got classic design right, you could create an experience for people that could be with them for, for a long time. And I think I got that from, you know, my grandmother and my mom, you know, didn't have a lot of money to spend, but had a really incredible sense of style. Uh, But I did realize one thing that I didn't know anything about uh, running a business. And so I needed to go to business school. Now, I I went to a pretty good liberal arts college that um, really, quite frankly, uh, was not focused on people leaving and and starting up businesses. I, I, I ran the hamburger stand in the in the dorm, thinking that that would give me some preparation. But but I thought, you know what, I'm going to go to business school. And I found my way into a training program in, at a bank in Chicago where they paid for me to go to business school at night. And so I thought, okay, I don't know really much about a career in finance, but I get my business school degree. I'm sure I'll learn what I need to do for my business. Uh, and that was at 21, and I retired from finance 35 years later. And so the 21-year-old in me was, let me just get this degree so that I can move on to what I really want to do. But the truth is, life got in the way. You know, I was in graduate school at night, working full-time with many people who were 10 years into their career. And so my capacity to put my day-to-day aside and sort of plan, as many people do now, for that great startup idea, quite frankly, was pretty limited. I just had to 
to get through it. I had to to figure out what financial accounting was. I, I I had to figure out how to you know juggle between work and 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 school and um and and part of the thing that I think as a 21 year old was that I felt that I I I had to succeed. You know, my father mm-hmm. uh, was amazing, and he paid for. Um, for the most part, all five of us to go to to college. You know, we had some student loans. Wow. So we worked really hard, and education was really important in our family. But it meant that you know I felt that he had done everything that he should do, and so I had to I had to figure it out. And so you know, wanting to be successful and having to figure it out, quite frankly, gave me focus. Mm-hmm. And uh, and enabled me to get through those really tough spots where I thought, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that finance is for me. I, I don't know about going to school full time, part time. Maybe I should go full time. Um, I just I just had so many questions. Uh, and if I if it were my 21 year old self again, I would say it's good you have those questions. It's good mm-hmm. that you're not sure, and quite frankly, it's okay. Don't think of the thing that you do every day at work as being the thing that you're going to do for the next 25 years. Instead, start thinking about what you're learning. Start understanding what skill sets and experiences you'd really like to have and challenge yourself to make sure that you're getting those experiences in the job that you have now. The other thing that the 21-year-old Edith was really fortunate to have was people who took an interest in me and saw that I had potential beyond my imagination for myself. Um, and people who thought, hmm, you know, she has an ability to connect with other people that's, that's pretty strong. And if we could figure out how to position her to interact with clients, she'd probably be really good at it. Now, this was a time where there weren't that many, you know, women in the workplace in financial services. And and when I looked up and around, there certainly were not that many senior women or senior people of color. But I was so fortunate to have people in the organization who took an interest in me and equally people in the broader community that I was a part of outside of work who would pull me aside and say, no, 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 you're not getting this right. Let me Let me tell you, what you need to be doing to, to to get an A++ in what you're trying to accomplish here. And so that was the other thing that I, I would say to someone, you know, that, that about my 20-year-old self. I was naive about how important it was to have people who were in your corner and how you one can either get it by accident, and again, I say, Good luck, good fortune. Either way, I couldn't have done it without it. But you don't want to leave those things to luck or good fortune. You want to be thoughtful about it. You want to come up with a menu of things that you want to learn and experience. And you need to set your sights on those things and people who are going to help you get there. This all comes around to how we started this conversation, doesn't it? They saw you. They saw you. And they saw who you could become. And he saw what you didn't know but needed to, but can benefit from knowing. So they saw you. And I think if there's one key takeaway from this conversation is that no matter how successful anyone is, they don't succeed alone. 
we succeed only because of others who have seen us, and so we have to be that person for others after us. And you are. Yeah, I, I have to say that it has been an extraordinary my career and my uh, has given me extraordinary opportunities to connect and learn and broaden my perspectives. And if you had said to that 21-year-old Edith, okay, this is how it's going to play out, I, I, I would have stopped listening after five minutes. Um, <laughs> I, I, just, I would have dismissed it all as, you know, kind of out there. And, and honestly, I, I'm not sure I would have even thought it was that interesting. But I, I will tell you that I've had these opportunities and I've been able to to learn and develop because I have had the fortune of interacting with so many extraordinary people that have helped me along the way. Often, I think, uh, people think about mentors and sponsors as folks that are extraordinarily senior and experienced and accomplished and wise. And, and I have a handful of those, um, for sure. But I will tell you, I've learned equally as much from those that are coming into my life more recently. You know, I, I always enjoyed speaking with students on campus and, you know, spending time with our uh, newcomers when they arrived at the firm because I learned so much. I graduated from college a long time ago. I, I couldn't for a second imagine what's on people's minds. But if you take the time to be present and connect, with people, you know, you'll you'll learn, and that's learning, which leads to perspective and insights into what the latest and and greatest next opportunities will look like. Oh, that's so wise, and I couldn't agree more. And by the way, Edith, it's never too late. You can always start up the classics. <laughs> you can. As you think about today's episode, here's something to reflect on. Edith attributes much of her success to extraordinary people that surrounded and supported her, who continuously believe in her and see her potential. Who are the cheerleaders and motivators in your life? How does their continued commitment to your well-being and success impact you? That's it for today's episode. Special thanks to Tanya Reardon, Richard Vargo, and Angela Moon for producing this episode. Tejo Ajasa for the technical support, and Lucas Tischler for the music. See you again soon.